I think they're clapping for you. More than I will. Yeah, I was just thinking for some of you, this is your last first chapel of your college career. So welcome, I'm glad you're here, those of you who are seniors. For some of you, it's been three and a half years. For others, you've been five and a half years. But uh, I don't know how long it's taken you, but I'm glad you're here. For some of you, it's your first, first chapel. Welcome if you're a transfer student or a starting freshman. We do this three times a week, and it's our privilege to be able to connect with God. For others of you, it's your first chapel, what? After Christmas. And, but, but what's, I think every chapel has the potential to be special for us because we gather together in the name of Jesus, and he makes his presence known to us. He connects with us and wants to make a difference in our lives. And I'm hoping that will happen in our lives today and throughout the semester. Last month, uh, I came into the office singing. It was one of those days when we'd had snow overnight and the roads were a bit slick and I'd had an off-site meeting and uh, staff was here by the time I got here and I kind of slid into the parking lot and I came into the office singing, slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. The more you near your destination, the more you slip sliding away. And yeah. So the woman at the front desk looked at me blankly. I don't normally sing in the office, and she didn't recognize the song. She was just sort of blank. And I said, You don't recognize the song, do you? said no I said uh, it was by Paul Simon do you know Paul Simon she said no and I said um, how about Simon and Garfunkel you know Simon and Garfunkel she said maybe and then I said how about uh, like they did Sound of Silence you know Sound of Silence she says I think I've heard it but I think she was just placating me by that point she had no idea what I was talking about. And I went into my office and said, how could this be? Simon and Garfunkel were one of the great folk rock groups of all times. I looked it up. They had 14 Grammys. They sold 100 million records. They broke up because they couldn't get along with each other. And then they did a reunion concert. And in the reunion concert at Central Park, 500,000 people showed up to hear them sing. And I said, how could you not know Simon and Garfunkel? And then I did the math. Simon and Garfunkel was one of their greatest hits. I mean, they did Sound of Silence. They did Bridge Over Troubled Waters. They did I Am a Rock. Uh, they did Scarborough Fair. But their, probably their biggest one was Sound of Silence, and they released it in 1966, <laughs> over 50 years ago. And the reunion concert was in 1981, almost 40 years ago. And I realized that their parents listened to Simon Garfunkel on oldies radio. And for students today, Simon and Garfunkel are only a history note. But for your grandparents and for my generation, all it takes is a note or two or three and all of a sudden we're singing along and we're right back there because we remember them as the great duo they were. I began to think about that and realized how weird time is. How you don't think much about it, but... Um, Sometimes it just goes like that. I mean, when you're having a good time, time flies and you think, is time up already? And then there are moments when um, it seems to drag. I mean, you're in the middle of a lecture that's not scintillating. Or in my case right now, in the middle of a chapel sermon that you might not be connecting with. You ever been sitting in a sermon and thinking, is this ever going to be over? 
Stop and think what it's like to be a preacher and you're preaching and you have that thought. <laughs> you're in the middle of the sermon, you go, when is this going to be finished? Because they're done listening and yet I got a half a sermon left. Hopefully that won't happen today. But today I do want to talk to you a little bit about time. But before we do that, let's talk about this semester a little bit. And our theme for this semester is lessons I'm learning. Not lessons I've learned, L-E-A-R-N-E-D, but lessons I'm learning. The things that I'm still trying to figure out in my life. The things that need to develop in my life and in yours. Because see, if we're not careful, each of us falls to the temptation of believing we know better. Now we know there's some stuff we need to learn. You're a nursing student, you know you have to take anatomy class. You're a, a, a ministry student, you maybe have to study ancient biblical literature um, or languages. You're, you're an econ major, you maybe have to take statistics, that kind of stuff. You know you need to learn those things. But when it comes to how we do life, we all are, are subject to this idea that I know better. Your parents over Christmas tried to tell you some stuff and you internally, if not externally, rolled your eyes. Come on, Mom, I'm 20 years old. Or I'm 19 years old or I'm 22 years old. I know this, you don't need to tell me. And, and they were thinking, they need to learn this, they need to learn this because they knew better than you and you knew better than them and my generation knows better than all you. And there's this tendency to think we know what's going on and how life should be lived. And so maybe we tune out. We tune out our parents or my generation may tune out you or we turn out lectures or we turn out, tune out chapel sermons or we tune out our RDs because we tend to think, I'm okay. I got it figured out. But in those quiet moments, in those deep down moments, most of us will admit we're not quite okay. That there's still some things that we need to figure out. It seems easier as if we act as if we already know and it doesn't require us to change if we have already learned everything. But my challenge for you this semester is to lean in as a learner. My challenge for our speakers this semester is not to be experts as much as they are fellow travelers on this journey towards being followers of Jesus Christ. So we're learning together what God wants. That we'll acknowledge that we need to be more than we are. We'll open ourselves to new thoughts, to stretching ideas, and to an invitation to keep learning about Jesus and our relationship with him. So would you pray for me towards that end right now? Lord, give us ears to hear today. Help us to be open to your word, to your guidance, and to the opportunities you've put before us. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. I will confess right up front that I decided to talk about time and I don't know much about it. And there's a lot I don't learn about time. So I, I went to the internet and I said, what's the study of time and it's horology, H-O-R-O-L-O-G-Y. I'm not a horologist. The field of science that thinks most about time is physics. I'm not a physicist. I've taken physics twice. Okay, to be honest, it was once in high school, once in college. I didn't have to take it twice in college. Just didn't want to clear that up. 
Physicists define time as the progression of events from the past to the present and into the future. That's a physicist's definition. Einstein, who was pretty smart, defined it this way. What clocks measure? Duh. Someone else, a philosopher, defined it as a linear continuum of instants. And I kind of like that definition, really, because as you look at time, what's past is past and you can't change it. What's future is not yet. The only thing you have control over is this moment, this time, this instant. And so if we figure out what to do with this instant, the future will improve and our past will get better because we'll begin to develop some past that's based on what Christ wants for us. Now I'll tell you, most of us don't really think much about time itself. When we think about time, we tend to think about big events that are marked in time, and we think about deadlines that come. Last week, we had a big event. Some of you stayed up till midnight. When 11.59 and it hit 12, and you shouted out, Happy New Year! And the calendar changed from from 2019 Slip sliding away. <laughs> it changed from 2019 to 2020. But the reality is, it's just a click of a clock. And one day was really not much different than the other day. It's just the calendar page turned and we said, it's a new year. Sometime this year, about 25% of you will turn 20. And on your 20th birthday, someone will ask you, what does it feel like not to be a teenager anymore? And some of you go, great. (laughs) The reality is that you feel no different than you did at 19 years and 364 days. Just another day went on. And now you're 20 and the calendar marks it. By the way, just a heads up about the future. Every birthday that ends in a zero is a a a birthday where you kind of assess your life to see how well you're doing. When you're 30, you'll do that. When you're 40, you'll do that. I'm almost 70. Wow. It's amazing I can stand up. But we simply don't use time to mark anniversaries and birthdays. Sometimes time serves us as a deadline that comes up on us. This week is syllabus shock week. You get all your syllabi and you sit down with them and you open your calendar and you realize you're going to have two tests on the same day and then you're going to have a midterm and a project due on the same day and you know the, 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 the pile comes up on you and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier and some of you will deal wisely with it and you'll get your calendars right now and you'll begin to say here's when I need to start this project and here's when I need to start that project here's when I need to start this paper and do the research here and I need to start studying here and I had to study a little bit every day for every class like they tell me to and some of you will be more like I was well I didn't really pay much attention to deadlines and I I panicked at the end of every semester I'm not proud of this, but my freshman year, my first semester freshman year, I started a 20-page paper at 7 o'clock at night when it was due at 7 the next morning. I don't recommend that. It won't. I got an A. but I remember nothing about the paper or the topic I wrote on. 
but this is not a talk about how to plan your semester academically. I would suggest you begin planning early, that you work on it throughout the semester. It will work much better. Today, I want to talk to you about time in a different aspect, and I want to talk to you about the sacred nature of time, the sacred dimension of time. The responsibility that comes to a Christ follower to use the opportunity time gives us to make a difference for the kingdom of God and to make a difference in the lives of other people. If you're here today and consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, God has given you sacred opportunities and he wants us to do something with them. And that's what I want to talk about. We're going to look in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul begins in Ephesians chapter 1 and he reminds us that we've been chosen by God to be holy and blameless. That's God's choice for us. In chapter 2, he says we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to, to do something for him. In chapter 3, he says the, the spirit working within us will do more than we can ever imagine in developing us as followers of Jesus Christ. Imagine what you could be, and he said, I can, he'll, he will do more for that, than that. In chapter four, he tells us to put off our old way of life. In chapter five, he urges us to live as children of the light, to not just live in darkness, but to be light to the world and live in the light. And that brings us to our scripture foundation for today. Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. It says, be very careful then, how you live and the then builds on what the apostle has been talking about for the first four and a half chapters be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil take a look at that be very careful the word careful means to watch to be on the alert to be intentional with how you live to be intentional in how you use the days the time that God has given you that's the command to us as we sit in this room today, we all have a variety of resources that are available to us. They differ in quantity and quality. Some of us um, are smarter than others. I mean, that's just the way it works. Some people in this room are absolutely brilliant and you do things with your mind that I can only hope of ever doing. Some of us struggle to get grades. Some of us are financially more blessed. We don't ever worry about college bills because mom and dad are paying them all. And some of us are struggling just to get through without too much debt. Some of us are physically more gifted. I try to get to a lot of sporting events and I watch people run and jump and shoot and block and spike and do all this kind of stuff and I look at them and go, I'm amazed by the talent that, that I don't have, I no longer have, I never really did. Um, but some of us are just more gifted than others. Some of us are more relationally natural. My wife can make friends with a wall If you know her, you know that's true. <laughs> She'll see you and go, oh, it's good to see you. <laughs> you know Patty? Yeah. Some of us are different than that. But when it comes to time, each one of us has 24 hours in every day, no more, no less. And the scripture says we have the responsibility to use it intentionally and wisely because it says because the days are evil we live in a world that's lost its way spiritually we live in a world of selfishness and prejudice of anger of self-focus 
We live in a world that in many ways has become a moral cesspool. I just talked to a student who transferred in from a state university and began to talk about what it was like there and how grateful he is to be here. But we live surrounded by that world and we all live in a different state of spiritual commitment than the person next to us. But we who know Christ have a responsibility to do something about the world in which we live. Be very careful then how you live making the most of every single opportunity because the days are evil. It suggests that there's something we can do with our opportunities to push back the evil a little bit. It's not just a philosophical or theoretical suggestion. It's a responsibility we share. It's an invitation to you to say you can make a difference. You can use the time God has given you to change the world. You can change the the hall in which you live. You can change the community of Iwu. You can change the city of Marion. You can make a difference. If you live carefully, if you live wisely, if you refuse to live unwisely, if you take responsibility for the time you have, you, you can do a God-given task. In the midst of a world that's full of evil, you can push that evil back and shed some light. It can be a little more righteous. And that's what I meant about the sacred dimension of time. It is not just something that passes. It's not something that we'd use just to study. It's something that gives us opportunities to change the world through the name and the power of our Lord and Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ. And at this point, some of you may, ask, may be asking, who, me? And the Apostle Paul would say, yeah, you. So then the question becomes how? And Paul shares um, the next four verses that at first don't seem to connect and then when you think about it, they do. So let's look at them. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share three thoughts with you because the days are evil. Because the days are evil, the Apostle Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Here's the deal. Wherever you are with God, there is more for you. So don't settle for wherever you are with God. Always seek more. Here are some great questions to ask yourself. Am I as fully surrendered to Christ as I could be? What a great question to wrestle with this semester. Is God really in charge of me? Or am I still in charge with me and just giving God a place? Do I see all my moments as God moments? Am I making myself fully available to him? If you can't answer yes to those questions, you won't make the most of every opportunity. Do you realize that every interaction you have with someone else is a God opportunity. Every interaction you have with someone is a God opportunity. C.S. Lewis, in his essay, The Weight of Glory, says there are no ordinary people. He says every person you meet is someone whom if you could see them as they one day will be, would be a horror before which you would cringe or run or else someone so glorified 
that you would be tempted to, be ba- to bow and worship. He says there are no ordinary people and your interaction helps draw them and encourage them to be more like Christ or helps to push them farther away from Christ in a sense of evil. You have a sacred responsibility. So you need the presence and the power of God in your life to help you as you relate to that person. That person who's irritating, that person who you feel intimidated by, that person who discourages you, that person who who challenges you, who, who you feel inadequate next to. God's spirit fills you and enables you to make a difference. But one of the things I've discovered in my life is that I leak. I mean, things don't drop off my fingers as I walk around. But uh, I have spiritual moments of great intensity and connection. And you think, wow, this is how it ought to be. And then a week later, two weeks later, I'm not sensing that any longer. That's why you make the most of every opportunity and be filled with the Spirit. In fact, some translators take this verse and say, be being filled with the Spirit. Let it be an ongoing kind of thing where every day you come before the Lord and say, God, I'm yours today. I need you to fill me today because I need to be used by you today. We need an everyday recommitment to being all God invites us to be. Paul says, because the days are evil, be a positive influence on those around you. Now, I mean, I will extrap- I'm extrapolating that a little bit from what Paul actually says. What Paul actually says is speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Here's what I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting when you wake up in the morning and somebody says, hey, how are you today? You're being holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You go, what? <laughs> and I'm not suggesting that you put a musical score to all your conversations. What's going on? I need a pencil, please. I've lost my pencil. (laughs) Not that. I think Paul is suggesting that the world around us tries to squeeze us into its own mold and the world around us drains us and scrapes us and abrades us and we need to remind each other of God's place in our world. We need to remind each other of God's love and God's grace and God's power. We sing and make music in our hearts and we encourage each other in those ways. We need to remember that God has given us the privilege of caring for each other and the responsibility of caring for each other. And so when we see others discouraged, we encourage them. When we see others dragging, we lift them up. That's our role as we sing and make music in our hearts because the days are evil. And then he says, because the days are evil, always give thanks to God. Be thankful. I think the default setting of most people is complaining. I really do. When the alarm goes off, you complain that the alarm went off rather than saying, I'm still alive. When you're my age, you'll say that more often. (laughs) It's more of a surprise. But we gripe about lots of stuff. We gripe about the lines at Macon instead of saying, well, hey, we got a great coffee shop right in our student center. Our food is consistently ranked among the best of private universities and yet we gripe about Baldwin. We gripe about our roommates. Some of you are sitting next to your roommate right now. 
we gripe about chapel and we gripe about classes and we gripe about politics and the list goes on and on. And our complaining feeds an internal spirit of more complaining. And that's how it works when you complain. In reality, we are people of the blessing. We're blessed by God, saved by his grace when we didn't deserve it. We have food and clothing and opportunity that much of the world just dreams of having, and we have it. And Paul wants us to use the time we have to be thankful and to remind each other of God's goodness. In fact, in Philippians, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing, and you'll shine like stars in the universe. You'll be a light that people look at and say, what's with that? And we can say, that is Jesus Christ at work in me. So how does this relate to a lesson I'm learning? You know, you likely know that I've announced my retirement at the end of this semester, and um, it's like watching the sun go down in my life in some ways. I know that my opportunities to influence you are diminishing. I have three and a half months before the end of the semester. I preach three or four more times in chapel. And I go, man, I want to make the most of every opportunity there. When I see you in the student center, I want to make the most of every opportunity there. And if I'm completely honest with you, there have been times in the last five years where I haven't paid attention to every opportunity, where it's sometimes just to get caught up in the administrivia of life that uh, you quit paying attention to the sacredness of each interaction. And as the horizon of my time with you gets closer, I'm learning to cherish each and every moment. I'm learning that. And I'm learning to ask, how could I use this day better? That's what I'm learning. How about you? What does this have to do with you? Well, it's like I'm at the end of the semester and finals are just around the corner. And it's like you're on syllabus day, early in your life, with lots of possibilities, and you don't feel the pressure of time. But I need you to understand something today. Today is as important today as some today will be later. Every day is important. I'm convinced that lots and lots and lots of us live on what I call someday aisle. Someday I'll get my spiritual act together. Someday I'll do better at devotions. Someday I'll forgive that friend who's hurt me. Someday I'll rebuild that relationship. The people around you need you not to live on someday aisle, but to live today and say, this is the day the Lord has given me. I will use it well. The community in which we live of Iwu needs you to be better than you are. The community of Marion needs us to be better than we are. The world in which we live needs us to take responsibility for this day. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Let's stand together.